How are you, Carlos? Hello. Hello, I'm doing well. <laughs> Thanks for being here on the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. Yes, uh, very first guest, you know. <laughs> oh, you always got to kick it off. You guys got to kick out with number one. Yeah, exactly. We have to kick it off with some physics, right? With some uh, material science and engineering. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so where are you right now? Are you in, uh, wh where do you live? Like, uh... So right now I'm currently in uh, North Hollywood in California. So, um, and it's just like been scorching weather. So like the days are like 95 to 105 here. Uh, in, awesome. uh, it's really uh, hot. Yeah, very hot. And how about you? Like, um, I know you're from New Jersey, so I'm guessing it's like mild-ish or to very cold, I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, it's uh, right now this summer has been uh, really different uh, because it's been raining. Like today it rained and it's, uh, you know, August. It's supposed to be like really hot. It's supposed to be yeah. like a scorching hot as well, not as much as California, of course, but like, you know, it's still hot. It should be hot, right? So, yeah, we could use some rain, so... <laughs> It doesn't rain often over there, right? Mm, maybe twice a year. That's it. And you have to take advantage of those two days, man. Yeah, probably. But I mean, to be honest, like they we make up for it with like pools and such. So. Oh well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, do you mind introducing yourself to? I mean, I kind of know you because I've been doing some research on you, but like for the other people, the people that don't know you. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I'm Carlos Arquin. I'm uh, 16 years old. I, I'm very passionate about nanotechnology, nanomaterials, and material science. Um, I started off with uh, creating uh, public content for the people because I think that, yes, it's important for scientists to know about this stuff, but um, at the end of the day, it's also going to impact um, the 7 billion people here on this planet and probably more um, in the future. So I created a dig an ebook called 100 Nano Stories, um, bookmarked. So basically just talks about the fundamentals of material science and two specific nanomaterials, which I think are going to have a lot of potential in the future. And I want to be part of that journey, which is aerogel and graphene. Aerogel is the world's lightest solid. Graphene is the world's most conductive material in like, like if it was a one-liner. Mm -hmm. um, and a one-liner for nanotech, I would say it's, it's the world's smallest toys. You can play around with them. You can break them. You can sort of rearrange them to the way you want. Mm -hmm. um, just like how a five-year-old would play with toys and, you know, or like with Legos, like the world's smallest Legos, just like break them, you can add them, or you can uh, just change them to make them look like something else. That's how I would give the overview. Sure, sure. Uh, and so let's start at the beginning. Uh, why nanotechnology? Like, why, why did you choose to actually focus on that? Like, what led you to that? Sure. So... Actually, actually, it wasn't uh, it wasn't just like plain old nanotech that actually got me into it. It was actually it came from space tech. So uh, here in here in my here in my room, there's a telescope up there. That was the first thing I ever bought um, here when I came to the United States. But um, so what I noticed with space tech is I realized that okay, if I really want to make an impact here, I realized that it's not really the space tech itself. Is what is space tech made out of? And well, it comes to down to materials and materials and like um, engineering systems. So that's when I realized, okay, material science actually does play a role here. And sooner or later, I came to the realization that material science plays a role in everything. So, but specifically for space tech, I was more concerned with like a space debris problem, which um, if we don't clean our mess up, well, we won't be able to leave the earth, basically. 
Yeah. So I realized, okay, how, how can I solve one of those problems? And that's when I found about nanotech. The only thing I don't, the only thing I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, the only thing I don't really like about that word nanotech is it's too broad because once you find out that it, there's more than just nanotech, there's nanomaterials, but then there's nanoparticles, there is a uh, nanomedicine, there is uh, nanorobotics and so much more. Um, so there's like nanotech is just like this big word, but there are, there are smaller sectors of nanotech that you can go into. However, in terms of, uh, in terms of the journey, I think the, uh, the other reason why I think nanotech is very important is, as I mentioned, it's all around us. Like technically we are made out of nanotech. We're made out of the sm world's smallest, uh, world's smallest building blocks. And if we can just change them around, then basically we have the ability to pretty much change anything at our will. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, how it goes, right? Uh, yep. Most people, when they think about nanotechnology, well, me included, I used to think about, you know, nano robots, like the robots. That's yep. the first thing that comes to mind. I don't know why. I, maybe because uh, we've seen it in movies and all of that. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So it's just that. But as you said, like, it's, uh, it's really broad. And um, I think it's super important. Um, I know you want to get rid of some of the micro debris in space. And well, people don't realize that things are different in space. Oh, oh maybe we just forget about it. Like, well, like I think uh, I was reading that in one of your articles, it said something that, uh, you know, there's like a, like a small object, right? And it usually goes like 10 times faster or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was approximately 10 times so basically um the velocity let's say the velocity in an object so i think it was like this equation that goes um half half uh half mass v squared so basically the velocity is sort of a square mm -hmm. the velocity yes. squared so let's say an object was traveling 10 kilometers here on earth it would be 100 kilometers in space so think of a small little piece that can do a lot of damage which is really yeah. deadly for the people in space, like, you know, the space station and, you know, the astronauts. It's, it's really dangerous, right? Yep. And that's fatal. So even sooner or later, something's going to happen if we don't clean up the mess. Yeah, exactly. It's not even dangerous. It's deadly, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but like, why did you decide to go, like, actually into, you know, this, this space thing? Like, what uh, you always liked the space since you were a kid or like what what was it that you know interested you ah uh, so yeah like like for the space stuff it was um it was yes because i think it was just like my personality as a child like i have a bunch of photos of me just like dressing up as astronaut and such so for me it's like you know that that childhood that childhood passion carried over um into into the future but I do think that uh, the space debris problem is one of the problems I want to solve um, as I, as I you know, progress through the journey of life. Um, but there are other problems that I do want to solve with nanotech, like climate change. And, um, and then also the education system. I think those are just some important things. But space tech is definitely carried into my life. And is that the first problem that you would like to solve, like before you go into other problems? Or are you actually, you know, uh, running all of them at the same time and being like, oh, this is more, you know, I can do this now and then I'll do that later or something like that? Actually, um, it would, it would probably, I would, it would probably be stupid if I were to do all of them at the same time. I think it's better if you focus on one at a time. <laughs> so I think the biggest problem is climate change right now. So that's the first problem that, that I would focus on. 
Um, I am focusing on an internship with the climate crew on um, policy reform, since that's the most important part. And then after that, I would focus on the space on the space debris. And then we would focus on that educational system. I think those are the three biggest problems I want to, you know, make my impact in. Uh, that sounds really good. Like, you know, we need a new education, educational system. It's pretty much broken since, what, like a long time ago? I wouldn't say 200 years ago, but like ever since, you know, like the 19... 19- Well, not 200 years ago. I said like too long ago, but it's <laughs> <laughs> <Yep. laughs> 200 years ago. <laughs> Could be. It might as well, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, if there's always if there's always there's always people pioneering the next generation of like innovation. Then you could say it has been broken since forever. So, well, yeah, I think uh, people get comfortable, right? And it's yep. become more like a business, more more than uh, you know, actually teaching and stuff. Exactly. Uh, so antimatter, right? So it plays also a role in what you want to do. Uh, do you want to explain why? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so I originally had this passion for with um with particle with like particle physics and just like antimatter because I was thinking, wow, like this is actually very powerful because if we could like get extract like some particles of this antimatter, we could mm-hmm. use it to sort of eliminate these micro debris. However, you know, like. Fantasy eventually has to meet reality. And that's this is the first thing I realized. Well, yes, antimatter is very hard to find and to even make and then to even store it to begin with. Mm-hmm. But like the human body has uh, potassium 40, which is a radioactive isotope of potassium. And it actually has antimatter. We emit antimatter. However, it's actually not enough on an industrial scale. Even throughout our entire lifetimes, if we were to collect all the antimatter from all the people on the earth, So I think that's also just another problem is, well, even, a, but then again, we're not trying to, you know, make a bomb out of antimatter. We're just trying to eliminate some micro debris. However, mm-hmm. how are we going to store this as well? This is also another problem that I was thinking. So that's why I sort of made the switch from antimatter to actually the material science, because there, there may be a better option there with things that we already know we can do versus something that is more like sci-fi, which I think it is possible, just probably not in my life. I think that's a uh, that would be my best guess. Oh uh, yeah, antimatter is really you know I think it's been you know a lot of people use it as a sci-fi. Yes, uh, they just put in sci-fi movies and everything. Uh, you know, it's like antimatter is so mysterious and you know, like no one knows that we actually you know have antimatter inside of us, as you said, like like producing potassium, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are, um, if you're like around 100, 180-ish pounds, you're emitting around, um, I think it's like three, three, three NT3 positrons, I think is like per minute. So it's like around 100, 150, 180 uh, uh, positrons, which are basically like the anti-electron. So basically electrons opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who don't know what a positron is, but it's around 180 uh, positrons per hour um, for like someone who's around 150, 180 pound man. So that's interesting. But as I mentioned, that is absolutely nothing. Like the tip of a pen can hold 10,000 atoms, mm-hmm. um, something like that. So 180 of atoms, atoms of this like antimatter is like, that's nothing. Yeah, pretty much. And it's difficult to extract, right? That's like the challenge, like the main challenge. Yep. First to extract and then store it, which is two big, two, two different problems. 
which is even harder i guess yeah yeah it's harder to store than extract in my opinion but both are already too hard okay so then you decided to switch to material science and explore some of these uh materials that we know as you know aerogel graphene as well right yes graphene mm -hmm. so let's go into aerogel first so why aerogel All right. So why Aerogel? I think for me, um, I think the first thing that interests me about Aerogel was first thing is like how something so empty can be so powerful. Like it is literally it, the per, the emptiness, I guess you could say the emptiness inside an Aerogel. It, its maximum can go up to 99.8% air. So basically by volume, 99.98% of the Aerogel or this material is just filled with air. The rest of it is the skeleton of the gel. So for those who just need one, one more time what an aerogel is, you can think of it as the world's lightest solid, or you can think of it as like um, frozen, like frozen jello, or I guess you could say frozen con candy in some way, if you, if you would like to have an analogy of how it would look like. Um, uh, and it has some like pretty cool properties, right? Like... It also can uh, withstand like what a thousand Celsius, a thousand uh, in temperature. So yeah, so sometimes it can reach up depending on the aerogel, of course. But the most common one you're going to definitely find is the silica aerogel. Um, so that is mostly made out of a uh, silica, which is a combination of silicon and oxygen, um, hence the name uh, silica. And yes, some of the aerogels, uh, some of the aerogels can reach up to or can withstand um, temperatures like nearly up to 15, 1500, 2000 Celsius, which is interesting. However, um, however, it's uh, it's the reason why you don't see it all the time is we still have two problems left to solve with aerogels. One, the ethics, like what is ethical to do with the aerogels? Like, can we actually let's say we were to make nanorobots, can we actually put this in a body? Is it safe? It's safe to add what reaction will it do if we ingest it or like allow it to enter our bodies. And two is the economics, which is another huge thing. The, uh, the, uh, the economic point of Aerojo is, is, is looking, oh, is looking good. We're supposed to uh, reach around like maybe a 700, $750 million of this material by 2029. So that's interesting. That's interesting on how the economics can also play a role. If, like if this can actually be, take it to the industrial scale yeah absolutely and uh it's pretty much the same as with the solar panels or any kind of technology right uh mm -hmm. first there is no adoption of the technology because it's really expensive and then you know mm -hmm. the, then the costs start uh going down and then people start using them more mm -hmm. yes so and that, that's the interesting part is like with all these uh, i guess you could say with all these flavors of aerogel and what i mean by a flavor I mean, like they have different properties, like silica is one type of flavor. And the other, another flavor is like organic aerogels, which organics just basically an aerogel that's made out of pure carbon atoms, or like most, the majority of it's pure carbon atoms. And then you have like your polymer aerogels, which are like these long chains, which, um, which we call polymers. Um, and then there's your bio aerogels, which are basically made out of like um, what, with what you would learn in like your biology class, like made out of also like from plants and that stuff um so each each of these prices will slowly go down to accumulate and then they will also have you know their special applications um that they could that could be used uh, potentially in the future so it's just interesting to see 
which flavor which flavor of these aerogels is going to be the first one to be used. I would say probably silica would be the silica or bio aerogels are going to be the ones that are going to make the most impact first. Isn't silica the one that comes in, you know, in those uh, bags in the in clothes? Is that the one? Or that's a different um, one? I think I think it's a different one. Like silica is silica looks blue. The silica is like a hazy blue, I would say. Hmm. Okay. And another property of the aerogel is that it can you can uh, so I think it it can stand uh, the weight of like ten times its weight or something like that. Like any object, you can put it on it. Ah, so this is this is the thing. Yes, if the yes, if all the weight or I guess like if all the pressure is equally distributed, but if you do like pinpoints, like for example, if you were to put your finger on a three centimeter disc of silica aerogel, and if you were to just poke it in one place, that's what they call that's like pinpoint pressure, and then the aerogel will shatter. But if you distribute the weight throughout the aerogel, like if you were to place bricks on top, like maybe two, three bricks on top of the aerogel. And then there the air gel won't break because the weight is evenly distributed and the and the skeleton of the gel can handle all that pressure. It will distribute the pressure. However, pinpoint, no, because you're at, you're putting too much excess pressure on one point of the skeleton. Mm. And that's why air gel is brittle. It is brittle if you do pinpoint, like if you were to poke it or touch it. But if you distribute the weight on a silica air gel, then no, it won't break. Um, as long as you don't exceed weight, of course. And if you don't apply too much pressure. Um, however, Silica aerogel is the one that's the most brittle. However, there are other aerogels like polymer aerogels. Those can actually, uh, if you were to poke it, it wouldn't break um, because of the because of the long the long polymer fibers and also the strength and skeleton um, of the aerogel. So that's also that's also another thing is not all aerogels are brittle, but it's also like the most uh, the marketed ones are the most stereotypical ones. That's the one that most people think of. So that's just a little bit of a disclaimer right there. So it really depends on which aerogel you're using, right? Yeah. And, yes. you know, the pinpoint thing that you also talked about. So what? how do you produce aerogel, like exactly? Uh, what do you use to produce aerogel? Sure. So the most common the most common way of making an aerogel is called the sol gel process. And the sol gel process, the, it's called the solution to a gel process. So the aerogel is just basically the, it's like a, it's like the, uh, like jello pretty much. So aerogel is like solid, solid jello with uh, all the liquid extracted. So what you actually start off is with the solution. Um, and with the solution, it comes with precursors. Like a precursor is something that like makes up the, the entire bulk, but you also need a solute and a solvent. So a sol, so uh, with the solvent and the solute, it basically creates these like small little particles in the the small little particles, which is the solute. And then it just spreads out throughout the solution. And with this solution, you basically get your liquid skeleton. And so basically similar like jello or edible gelatin. And then once you reach this point, once you, once you reach this point, um, then you allow it to age and you actually allow for the gel to actually, uh, the skeleton to actually make sure that it's it's in touch and then while you're ready and then once you're ready for that then you go to the drying process so you would use something like an autoclave to remove to remove the the liquid or basically the the solution and then extract the solution out of it and replace it with liquid co2 to make sure that uh with a 
with a P with what they call PSI. Um, I think it's uh, pressure um, pounds per square inch. Um, that's what PSI is. Yes. They need mm -hmm. a PSI number um, and a specific temperature. So I don't know it in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, it's around 31, 31, um, 31 to 33 uh, Celsius. You need to make sure it exceeds a certain amount of number, mm -hmm. a certain number of that. And and also specific temperature because if you don't if you don't then basically you end up with a subcritical fluid. So subcritical fluid means that it's uh it's below a certain temperature, and you won't be able to uh, get the supercritical fluid because with the supercritical fluid you're able to extract um you're able to extract the liquid, the liquid replace the solution with the CO two and then um you end up with your dried aerogel which is the most common one is silica, obviously. Would you say that's a difficult process for, you know, like to get to to produce aerogel actually in at a scale, yeah. I guess? Yes, that's why that's why there's <laughs> the uh, the economic this is the economic problem is like, yes, it's good, but some but it's not the best, it's not the best way. It's the most common one. However, mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to find better ways of like, can we can we produce a lot of it in a lot of in less time and there's actually this trick of like um maximizing surface area but reducing volume so if you were to do a google search on aerogel like just write aerogel you would find like cubes like cubes of this like blue blue smoke looks like blue smoke and that takes a long time because you have to worry about the entire skeleton inside that cube you know if you mess up you get a bunch of cracks and your aerogel will crumble However, if you maximize surface area, which basically means, um, so with the surface area to volume ratio, you want to have a lot of surface area. Basically, it it can cover a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of surface, um, essentially. Um, but with the volume, it's like you can there you can barely put any liquid inside inside this material. So if you maximize surface area and you reduce the volume, you can basically get like a lot more a lot more air gel for less. Um, obviously they would have to be made in like, maybe like, um, not paper thin, but they would be like long rolls of, uh, long rolls of aerogel. Mm -hmm. Um, and there you can make a lot more. Um, so that's, uh, that's the most, uh, that's the most, uh, I guess, tack, tack, uh, the best way to tackle that problem. And there have been, so, and there are companies who are doing that. Like Aspen Aerogel is a big one out there with their pyrogel and cryogel, uh, aerogel foams. Um, to maximize a lot of surface area and reduce the volume to be able to make a lot more, which is, uh, you know, very, very, very cunning, very unique. So I like that. I like that about them. So how long does it take to, to make, is it like one aerogel or like, how do you quantify it? Yeah. So, um, so I had a conversation with, uh, Dr. Steven Steiner. He's the president CEO, founder of aerogel technologies, um, a while back. And he talked, he talked to me a little bit about the processes. So most of the time with silica aerogels, you can actually get them customized. Um, so you can get like a three centimeter uh, disc. So something like about this size. Um, so it's like, a, I guess you could, it's kind of like maybe if you stack the, put eight pennies, eight pen, no, sorry, eight quarters, eight quarters uh, next to each other. That would be around that type of, uh, that type of disc. Um, and to make that little piece, it would take probably around two-ish, two-ish weeks. Um, and yes, that is a very long process, just for three, just for like three to five centimeters of a disc. 
so that's why that's another problem why it's uh why it's like you know struggling in terms of economics in economic terms it's uh not the best thing so for you so what's your prediction like how long would it take to you know bring the cost down or when it's original uh, mainstream i guess when does it go mainstream so i think for me i think we can actually solve in 10 years because like there is a lot of advancements um However, here's the one thing I would say is that there, if we want to really uh, get Aerogel up to scale, there are two things that I would definitely recommend is, uh, you know, maximizing surface area and reducing the volume. So basically, like no more, no more discs, no more cubes, unless like you want them customized, because like if we're thinking about putting these into daily life, then we have to sort of um, we have to sort of maximize how much Aerogel we can produce in one go. Um, but not, you know, worry about like making like cute little samples for commercials. That's, that's not, that's not the best, you know, application of this uh, material. And the so, second thing yeah. is, <laughs> okay. the second thing is a uh, forward vertical integration. So basically, um, I'm not, I'm not the best at a uh, business, business and like investments with a uh, forward, for forward vertical integration, but basically in like simple terms, it's, um, it's, it allow, it allows for, uh, like direct relations from the company to the customers and actually being able to, uh, have like direct, direct, uh, sort of like direct, direct, uh, direct sending or of the, of the consumption to the customers, because that's also another thing how much time do we have to wait for it to be produced and how much time do we have to wait to get it there? Because if you, let's say you want a three inch disc of silica aerodo, yeah, that thing's going to be fragile. All right. So, yes. you know, you don't. You don't want it to break on your way back because then that's just like, you know, you wasted two weeks for absolutely nothing. Pretty much. And it takes, as you said, two weeks to do it. So, and yeah, it's no, you know, it has to be a better way to do it, I guess, or to maximize yeah. things. Yeah. So, and I, yeah, that's also one thing that we need to solve. So like faster processing and also, you know, better like communications with the people to actually get their product uh, faster and also safer. Maybe they can just go and pick it up, right? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, a nice trip to Massachusetts won't hurt anyone. So. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter where they live. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get a trial for free. Do you think it's better uh, to produce aerogel? Like in, I was thinking maybe just these long sheets of aerogel or something like that, really thin, so that they don't have to, you know, it's like you don't have to do cubes or, as you said, like, you know, these cute uh, models that, You know, it's it's really difficult. Yeah, Aspen Air, Aspen Airgels has already been doing that um, for I think like the past um, you know, three three ish four years. So it's not that's not a new thing. However, it's just like how like how faster how faster is like is are we going to sort of you know revolutionize this way of like thinking? Is let's say you wanted insulation for your house, like yes, but then again, you would also have to figure out what properties like. Can we get the best properties out of the material? Um, and we're also looking for like new, newer, newer uh, applications, not just for like silica, but for organic, polymer, bio, um, chitin aerogels, chitin as in C-H-I-T-I-N. So like there's so many different combinations. However, it's just like more, uh, more or less of how much can we like integrate this into the other companies that we're trying to make. Yeah, and like always, there's always like a trade-off. If you do that, of course, you know, the material is yeah. not going to be as good as if you did like, you know, more volume, as you said. Yeah, that's why we do material science, trying to see what uh, what's, what's the best, best combinations 
and what is, you know, economically viable and what's also, you know, what's got the best potential to, you know, really shake the industries. Sure. Uh, so where where do people can find Aerogel? Like, where do they, where do they, like, where can you, you see it? Like, mm. um, see or buy? Maybe both. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see it, just go on YouTube, go on Google Chrome. If, um, if well, you like actually, see it in the real world kind of thing, uh, you know, like, yeah. Well, I mean, see it, see it. You're probably going to have to go to like an air gel lab or such. But if you want to see it in like, if you want to have it in your hand, just go to buyairgel.com. Order, order. You can order like three inch disc um, of like silica or maybe like another different type of air gel, polymer, whatever you want. Um, and then it should come, should come soon. <laughs> Um, and then there you go. You get your little piece of air gel. So there you go. And then you can stack books on it and then, you know, test the properties. And then break it. And then break it. Yeah, exactly. And then just order another one. <laughs> yeah, just don't pinch it. Just don't pinch. If it's silica air gel, don't pinch it. Otherwise, you know, that's a waste of a, a waste of money and a waste of your time just for you to mess up. Yeah. So the fact that you can't really, use, uh, you know, see it around, it, it tells you like it's no mainstream yet. Because if it's it was not, like a material yeah. that we would use a lot, then you would see it like like wood or yeah. plastic or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, at least in my at least uh, at least with the network and with the people and with the friends that I have, they know what aerogel is. But like, if I were to go to like a random like a random stranger here in LA, I said, "What's aerogel?" Probably they might have said, "What?" So it's like, like that, that's yeah, yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Well, how do you apply it? How many times a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, so I think like that's also the thing is how, how can, how can I do my part to not only, you know, try and help with this material, but also, you know, spread, sp spread the awareness about like, this is like the material science of the future. How can you like sort of get interested in it? Because sooner or later, you know, you're going to be using the next gen materials and you won't even probably know it. Yeah, exactly. Try to inform people, right? Yep. So do you want to use the aerogel to actually, uh, you know, code the windows of the like space station or something like that so that it can resist, uh, you know, whatever object comes hidden. There is more, there is more, there is more derogel than just like, you know, thermal insulation or just like impact. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think for me, what's most important in terms of climate change is maybe um, there is, there's this company, there's this company, I forget, um, but they're planning on using hemp, like the hemp mm -hmm. and turning them into aerogels. Or, and there's also another company that's trying to do like um, carbon capture with clothing. Um, so what I was thinking is once this, uh, once my internship with the climate crew is done, I'm going to try and send a proposal. I'm like, what if we can aggregate organic aerogels, like carbon aerogels into hemp clothing, which might be able to not only absorb, like be able to suck up CO2 and then maybe turn it out as oxygen and also adsorb it. So basically it sticks, it sticks and is able to come back out. So that can accelerate how much more how much more carbon aerogel can, uh, sorry, how much CO2 can the carbon aerogel hold as well as to accelerate the amount of carbon capture? Because if there's one thing that we use all day in our lives, it's clothes. Like we need clothes. Yes. Um, so, you know, try and find ways to integrate into human life. Don't try and create something new. Like what I mean by don't create something new as in, you know, don't try and change like the human, the human system, because that's always going to be there. Just find a way to sneak it into everyone's daily lives and you pretty much have your answer um that's how like you know these stuff with the iphone uh, computers like that's it somehow found our way into our lives and we're using it every day 
So that's the yeah. same thing. You want mm -hmm. you want to solve a big problem, find a find a way that you can integrate it into human lives. And yeah, then, it's like technology yeah. that seamless. It's there's like a seamless integration with how we uh, carry mm -hmm. our lives, right? So like if we were to to wear these clothes that had you know this aerogel material, and mm -hmm. that would allow us to capture CO2 from the atmosphere, it would be like really good because you know. You can you're just walking around and capturing even if it's like a tiny amount, like hey, a billion people. Yeah, exactly. But here's the other thing though. That's the one thing. That's the cool thing about material science. However, no point. There's no point doing that if we don't have policies that, you know, that tell us, hey, you know, you have to stop throwing stuff in the air. Even with, the, with even with all this aerogel, there's no point because for whatever we take out of it, there's always going to be plenty back. So that's what I mean. Like, and I think that that's faster than whatever we can come up with, yeah. right? Like the way yeah. we policies, trash the planet and yeah, and the policies, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just our 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 our, our the people who run our political system are kind of you know slow. So, you know, that's the thing about politics is like you know, they're good, they're good promise makers, but they're not good promise keepers. But then again, this isn't a politics uh, podcast though. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's not talk about politics. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's for aerogel and graphene. So let's move to graphene. So mm -hmm. what's graphene? So graphene in like in like one liner, world's most conductive material. Why is it the world's most conductive material? It um, in the scientific answer, it would be because it would probably be it would be because of the pi bond. So basically. Graphene is um, graphene would be an sp two hybridized uh, hi sp two hybridized uh, and hybridized material. So basically, in layman's terms or like in simple terms, there is one electron that that did not that did not get uh, that did not get converted into a different uh, orbital, and this orbital is basically where the electron you know can sort of you know just orbit around the um, the uh, sort of the the carbon the the carbon atom. So it has this like it has this orbit where it's just going up and down, up and down, and up and down. So basically, if something conductive were to go through this, the electrons are just basically, you know what? Let's push you. Let's push you out of here. So it's just like, and it's like, and because there's so many, there's mm -hmm. so many electrons on it because graph graphene is just pure carbon. Think of all that electricity just going through there. Um, remember, that's just one. That's just one little particle. Now add now add millions, billions, billions. That is a lot of electricity going through there. Um, so basically, it's like it's like your it's like the energizer for like any random particles with, uh, with that electric potential. So why aren't we using it in you know to make cables and stuff like that? So why copper and no why ah, yes. and why not uh, graphene? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? We're going back to square one again. Is you're right. You got your ethics and you got your economics because yes, you can make graphene like. Because basically, all you could, all you have to really do is, you know, scratch, scratch your, uh, scratch the graphite of your pencil, and eventually, if you get a one, if you get a thin layer of like pencil, that's your graphite. If you just like keep scratching and scratching. But guess what? If we really want to make a lot of graphene, um, you know, it cannot just be like you know these little thin strands because that's pretty much like you know what we're able to make, like these very very small strands. But think about it. Like we have 30 centimeters of, of like strand of graphene. How's that going to help us power the, you know, our, all of our electricity? That's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. 
We need to find a way of how can we make more of it. And then that's why it's like not the, it's not really economical. However, yes, there is plenty of graphene, like, you know, being made like with quantum dots, with quantum dots is another one. So, you know, something that, something that is on that nanoscale, but in terms of macro scale, we're nowhere near there. Um, so I think that's the other thing is like, you might've heard of graphene because either your science teacher said, ah, oh, it's, it's part of your pencil or at least the, where you can write. Or you might have heard it somewhere on like a, you might have heard it somewhere on a YouTube video, but like in terms of you using it, probably not going to happen um, for a good while. I do think it's gonna it's it's gonna be a wonder material, no question. The question is the question is not if it's when. So same for both materials. It's no longer if it's when. That's exactly where I I heard about you know graphene, <laughs> like you know my teacher was like oh. Oh, my professor or whatever it's like oh you know it's in your pencil <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like you've heard it you might have heard of it once but like have you used it probably not except to write but <laughs> but you can say that that's more like it's been in our society for like longer than aerogel right yeah um technically yeah you could say that um because yeah when when you're pretty much just writing it's You're technically, you know, you're using graphene, but um, it's not really graphene, it's graphite. Um, you just had that extra dimension. Um, and then, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, Wait, so what's the difference between, uh, you know, graphene and graphene? Ah, so with graphite, it is three-dimensional and with graphene, it's two-dimensional. So basically, this is what I mean. With graphite, you can see the length, width, and height of it. And that's the what you can see on your pencil. However, with graphene, It has a, it has a, it has the length. Uh, one basically one of the dimensions is on the nanoscale, and that's the thickness. Like if you were to, if I were to pull out a piece of graphene right now, you could barely, you could barely see the thickness on that. Like, you you might probably see it with the naked eye, but you would need to go at the micro scale to even like notice that there's a thickness. Because like if I were to hold it, maybe, you know, five meters from your eyes. You wouldn't even notice. Like you, you could probably see. Oh yeah, there's something dangling there, but I can't see that. I can't see how thick it is. So basically, graphite. You can see all the dimensions at the macro scale. With graphene, one of the dimensions is on the nanoscale, or basically, you can't really see it. And that, hence, uh, nanotechnology, right? Exactly. Basically, that's how. That's one way how we classify nanomaterials is how many dimensions are at the nanoscale. If All of them are at the nanoscale, then it's a zero-dimensional material. If two of them, if two of the dimensions, length, width, and height are at the nanoscale, then that's a one-dimensional material. If one dimension is at the nanoscale, it's a 2D material. And if all if none of the dimensions are on the nanoscale, then it's a bulk material or 3D. Hmm. Nice. So how do you produce uh, graphene? Oh yeah. So pretty much um I guess the easier way is just basically, you know, just scrape your pencil a bunch of times and eventually you'll get there. Um, so, which I guess um, it's not really that much of a surprise because that is the, actually the sort of the easiest way to get the graphene. Mm -hmm. In terms of with the graphene, like this is where like now it's like can come in is you can rearrange these, uh, can rearrange these carbon atoms to get the structure that you want because think of it like this. If you... Changing the structure of it will actually change the properties. Like one example is like what I mentioned. If you were to if you were to remove one dimension from graphite, you would get graphene. So even though, but both of them are all made out of carbon atoms. You just you know change the change the structure. 
Um, and the same thing with graphite. If you were to rearrange the atoms of graphite differently, like maybe like crystalline shape, um, then you would actually end up with like something like a diamond. And that diamond is also made out of pure carbon. Yes. So even the structure of how you put these carbon atoms are also going to change, you know, how their properties are. Like graphite, you could probably break it. With diamond, good luck with that. <laughs> break it. So like that's the differences. So it's pretty much, well, that's, uh, I don't know, to me, it's mind blowing, right? Just moving. Uh, yeah, move something and boom, you got something else. And then you got something else, exactly. And, you know, it has like different properties as well, right? Because yeah. like a diamond, it's difficult. It's not brittle. But like if you're playing with graphite, you can just break it like easily, right? Yeah, just, you know, just give it a give it a hard blow. And then there you go. It's snapped too. so. Is there like a company that's actually producing a graphene like a like, like a large scale at a large scale? Um, I'm actually a little bit more into the original than the graphene. However, there is this uh, there's this company. Um, I think it's a yeah, ubiquitous, ubiquitous, ubiquitous. I I don't know how to exactly pronounce it because like right now my Spanish is just attacking my English. Sorry, um, but um, but Welcome basically to the they're, club. Working, they're working on. Yeah, they're working on um, with uh, graphene. They're working with graphene quantum dots, um, quantum dots specifically, like graphene quantum dots, trying to apply them for like solar cell, solar cell and photovoltaics applications. Um, so that's that's the interesting part. But that that's the thing. It's mostly on the micro scale, not the macro scale, um, because you know to make a lot of it, you would need to find a way to make it economically viable and you know give us more than 30 centimeters of this like string of graphene. And without going into into it too much uh what's a quantum dot so basically a quantum dot is essentially it's like a think of it as like an atom atom at the nanoscale but you can actually like literally change change the change sort of the outcome or the result oh, so okay. like with a graphene quantum dot is literally how it sounds it's it's kind of like it's almost literally a carbon atom but you know with certain with certain abilities that you wouldn't find in a regular carbon atom, something like something like that So why did you actually, uh, you know, include uh, graphene? Like, because you're saying that you're more interested in aerogel. So what's, uh, so how do you plan to use graphene and, you know, why you're not too interested into it now? Uh, I'm actually more interested in combining the both of them rather oh, than just, you know, keeping them separate. But um, the reason why is I think, you know, energy storage is also another thing that I'm a little bit more interested in in terms of climate change because, Even though I told you that policy comes first, then the technology, because you know policy can do a lot more than tech that we'll ever do. But in terms of once we have like you know all the policies down, well, we need ways to you know be able to store more energy. Otherwise, we're going to you know go back to square one again. So with the graphene aerogel, we'll be able to have a form of energy storage and see okay, um, how much can we put these in like super capacitors? Can we put them in batteries and such so that you know there's a lot more electric current going through here. Um, but also having the ability to make it very light. So graphene gives us the like the conductivity, but aerogel gives it the basically it's a it's light it's the lightweight pretty much. So you can basically, if you were to put this in a car, you could put a lot of graphene aerogel in there, um, so that it would probably equal the same amount of weight. So basically, you can add more for less weight, pretty much. So the solution here, uh, the solution is to combine both. Like for you, like the solution is to combine both to actually improve existing technologies and maybe create new technologies and in that way actually you know uh, 
uh, you know, save the planet or, you know, store more energy or so forth mm -hmm. and so on, right? Yeah, because I think the because I think the, the best thing is like, you know, combining things because, yes, keeping them separate is good. I think when you combine the properties of two, I think it's just like, you know, you get something else. So I think it's definitely important, you know, to like experiment, see, you know, what combinations works. And I think graphene, I like graphene and aerogel will definitely, you know, it, it's a good combo. I mean, that was my uh, my follow-up question. So do, do they go uh, well together? Like, what yeah, are some of the things that you have to look for, like, to combine them? Like, how would you combine, like, two different materials like that? Like, Oh, yeah. So um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't literally, you know, like say, you know, here's the silver gel and then here's the graphene. Let's just throw it in. That's not really how it works. Um, there's actually the process of making graphene, graphene aerogel or carbon aerogel, since they're pretty much the same thing. Well, almost the same thing, even though they're mostly also made out of carbon. But you would also, you know, most of the time you would have to go through the sol gel process, um, and you have to go through the sol gel process and have like your organic precursors, which means precursors that are mostly made out of carbon and they would have like this shape of benzene rings if you were to look at them in the micro scale um and then def and then when you're trying to uh, heat them up because you want to heat them up to actually be able to extract some of the some of the some of the atoms and molecules that are not carbon um you could do it with an inert gas because you don't want the gas to react with the aerogel when you're trying to try it so most of the time that inert gas is nitrogen Um, so we would mostly use nitrogen as we're trying this heat up. And then that's when you, that's when you're pretty much left with pure benzene rings of carbon. And that's your like carbon aerogel or your graphene aerogel. So mm -hmm. that's, so basically similar to the sol gel process when you're making silica aerogel, mm -hmm. except you're targeting only the carbon atoms. So you can only end up with this electrically conductive lightweight material in the form of a skeleton or like a gelatin skeleton. Mm -hmm. That's your And so have you looked into other materials that you might use to like, you know, different than aerogel and graphene, like the ones that didn't uh, make the list, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So one, one I've been interested in is like uh, Alon, which is uh, aluminum oxynitrite, um, which basically, you know, has strength, but also has transparency. I think like, you know, having transparent aerogels is also another thing that, you know, could be interesting. And no, it's not going to be just for windows, um, which, you know, most people are going to think it is. But as I mentioned, there are many things it can do more than just windows, like in thermal insulation, um, op optical insulation, like also maybe for like um, high, en high energy beam physics and all this stuff. So I think like, you know, just keep advancing those fields as well. Um, it's very important. Um, so I think like those, those are some things in terms of like the applications we could do for like these high energy physics and also like windows or maybe even things that things that need more energy more energy storage so i feel like in terms of aerogel it's either going to be more on energy storage or anything related to storage in general nice nice wait so how so if you want to use these materials right so are you how are you planning to actually you know implement them so first you want to do like you know research on them uh, uh -huh. ex experiment them and then you know, start saying like, oh, this is my proposal and how you can use it, you know, in this field or whatever. Yes. I, yes. Uh, for me, for me, I need to experiment, see, you know, what, like, A, A, what needs to be done? What needs mm -hmm. to be done like right now? It's not, and two, what am I actually, what do I actually like about these two materials and how do I want to use them? And then I can do that with the Venn diagram and see, okay, now that I have these two like bubbles, 
where do these align? And I think that's that's where A, I will make the most impact on and B, that's something that I'm going to enjoy. Because I wouldn't do something, I, I would never do something I don't enjoy. Um, and two, I wouldn't, and two, I wouldn't, you know, even if I followed my passion, how much value would it be to everyone else? Because you, know, you also want to leave your impact, but you know, you should save for those other things in the spare time. So I think like right now, climate change is the big thing. So, you know, how can we how can we use something that can also absorb stuff into mm-hmm. something else? And that's where like um, the hemp aerogels, that sounds interesting, or also chitin aerogels, but I'm also thinking which type of aerogels absorb the most. And that's for me, it's like digging a lot of research papers and then hopefully trying to get into my school lab. And they actually do have the equipment um, and the chemicals to actually make a precursor or a soul gel out of it. And autoclave, unfortunately, they don't. So I may have to take the the autoclave or like the solution, the soul gel somewhere else um, to try and try and see what I get out of it. Um, but it's basically a lot of researching right now and a lot of experimenting which combinations of certain materials will give me what I want. Um, and for me, it's going to, and it's me is, for me, it's accelerating how much, you know, carbon can we suck out of the air um, after policies, of course. So, so that's your main goal right now. That's, that's what you want. Right mm-hmm. yeah. And then you'll move on, on to other things, I guess. Yes, definitely. So how do you come uh, to this? How do you get to this point to actually knowing a lot about all these, you know, material science and engineering, these materials mm-hmm. and engineering, like, uh, like how, like you just do reading or like oh, yeah. watch videos or like, how do you absorb all of this knowledge? So it's a, it's a very long process because it took me one whole year to acquire all mm-hmm. stuff. Like, here's the two. Here's the biggest thing I would say to anyone who wants to not only do material science or just like anything in general. Stop learning. Start acquiring. So, you know, you want to soak your brain and everything. Like, um, like for me right now, I'm acquiring my third language, um, but I'm not learning and I'm not doing any reading or writing. But it's Portuguese for anyone who want, who's who wants to know. Um, but I'm not doing any, I'm not doing any writing, gra- uh, grammar and all that stuff or memorization. I'm just listening, reading and speaking the language. So it's the same thing with the material science in that process is all I did was I listened, I listened to, uh, to like videos talking about, okay, this is, this is what happens if you change the chemistry of well, this material and this is what happens. This is why structure is important and sort of like heat resistance and that. And then I read a lot of papers, obviously, uh, on whatever I was interested in. And the mo- but this is the most important part: is you have to, you, you got to have the right connections. Like you need to have people who who know what who know what they're doing, who, and you know you want to do what they want to do, and speak with them. Like that's the most important thing. Is they have done more. They basically have 20 years of like knowledge or 10 years of knowledge, all all compressed into 45 minutes if you ask the right questions. So that's the that I would say. The conversations with people are going to be more powerful than the videos and the research papers. So, and it's the same thing with speaking a language or when acquiring a language, speaking is going to get you farther than, you know, all the listening and all the reading, all the writing and all the grammar you will do. If you learn how to, if you got the right people and if you know, and if you know uh, what you want, then you're going to be able to acquire all the knowledge faster. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, it happened to me, or at least I think that was the way that I learned the most when I was, uh, you know, learning English. I'm still learning, but, uh, you know, I was doing listen. Uh, so like, uh, you know, you, you come here, you enroll in a course or whatever English course, start taking ESL classes or whatever. 
and then just reading, doing, you know, homework and stuff like that. And of course, it that can help you, but it doesn't, you know, help you all the way till the end. If there is an end, of course. But like the best way is to actually practice by, you know, speaking and talking to people. And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's the best way to absorb the language, at least a language. Exactly. That's um, and yeah, you can like basically with that, you can do it on applications. You could do it by yourself or if you, if you have a friend who speaks the language in person, do that. Just like, you know, give me an hour, give me 30 minutes and you practice. And then you find out which vocabulary, you know, you want to keep and which vocabulary should you discard. Same thing with like material science or anything, anything in general. Stop learning, start acquiring. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good advice. And so you said that you're learning Portuguese now. So who do you yep. speak in Portuguese with, with for 30 minutes or 45 minutes? Ah, so... So right now, so right now, uh, I'm using this application called HelloTalk, and I may I make connections for like in the first day, and basically at around either in the either in the early morning, or at around this time, I would take an hour of my day, and we would converse. Um, we're actually doing a language exchange, so um, I'm learning Portuguese, and they're learning Spanish, so I'm exchanging. Spanish for Portuguese and they're exchanging Portuguese for Spanish like a win-win um, sometimes, yeah. sometimes we do language traits but sometimes you know we don't really care we just genuinely want to you know help each other and I have some have some of the connections from there uh, and that's how I'm also learning and then also I also do just like sometimes I try and sometimes I just talk to myself in Portuguese so like for me it just builds up that confidence mm -hmm. to sort of you know be able to actually speak on it because You know, there's always that self-doubt that, oh, are they going to judge me because, you know, I said it incorrectly or something. But um, but no, like, you have to sort of just get rid of it because at the end of the day, you know, they're learning just like you. Um, yeah, exactly. So you got you to guide them as well. You speak Spanish, correct? I do, yes. I think that's better than my English, of course. <laughs> you want to speak Spanish for like two minutes and confuse the audience? Sure, we can do that. All right. A ver, que, ¿con qué quieres comenzar específicamente? Uh, a ver, ¿de dónde, ¿de dónde eres? Ah, pues eh, yo soy de México, eh, también es de mi, pues mi mamá, mi papá son de México, son de Oaxaca, del estado de Oaxaca, específicamente en ciudad que se llama Jucle Crespo. ¿Y usted? Uh -huh. eh, ¿Qué país específicamente? De Ecuador. Oh, de Ecuador. Eh, ¿De qué ciudad o...? De, de, de Loja, ciudad? Loja, Ecuador. Bueno, de un pueblo pequeño de, Ecuador, de Loja que se llama Cariamanga. Y está en la ah, provincia bien. de Loja y Loja está en Ecuador. Pues. Ah, ¿y, cuánto, ¿Y cuántos años es de...? ¿Cuántos años estabas ahí antes que llegas hasta aquí a Estados Unidos? Para... 18 años y después me vine para acá, después del high school. Ah, después de la prepa. Ok, entonces, este... ¿Y cuántos años tienes ahora? Entonces, ¿tienes dos, tres años desde que llegaste aquí a Estados Unidos? Uh, no, pues ahora, yo tengo 26 años, entonces, imagínate, oh. llegué de los, cuando tenía 18, entonces ya son 8 oh, oh. años que estoy aquí en Estados oh, Unidos, pr prácticamente. Órale, ocho años. ¿Cómo, ¿Cómo se siente y cómo, cómo, cómo sale bien, la experiencia bien. así de ocho años? La verdad es que todo bien. Es, es difícil, tú sabes, al principio, como todo, pero no sé, después como que ya se va haciendo un poco más fácil y uno ya se va acostumbrando también. ¿Y para ti qué tal? ¿Cu ¿Cuándo viniste tú? Uh, empe empecé así como dando así de aquí, de acá, de México a Estados Unidos, como de cinco a siete, pero así eh, permanente, así como si... Así, creo que fue ocho o nueve años cuando ya, ya, ya hice el cambio así por al final, este, a los nueve años rentamos un apartamento y hasta que yo estaba en el quinto grado, creo que cuando yo tenía doce o algo, ya 
este, nos quedamos aquí en nuestra casa y ahí. Eh, entonces, solo en los, solo en los este, vacaciones o lo que sea, eso es cuando nosotros vamos a Oaxaca, Oaxaca para ver la familia y ahí disfrutar. Eh, ¿Y tú también vas a, vas a ir a, en las vacaciones a Ecuador? Sí, sí, en las vacaciones a ir a Ecuador. Y, y claro, tú sabes, ahí a pasar un rato, a ver algo vale, diferente vale. y de ahí sí volver. Ah, si tienes, pero, uh, si tienes, este, perdón, si tienes mascotas ahí en tu casa o no te dejan porque no te dejan, este... No, sí, es que nosotros tenemos una yarda, entonces sí tengo por ahí un, un perrito, pero recién lo, lo, lo compramos creo que dos años atrás. Ah, sale. A ver, entonces creo que 20 segundos más y no toda la audiencia va a decir, ah, pues mejor, esa es una, una ya, clase de idioma. Ya, <risa> se, ya se salieron, creo. Sí, ya, ya, ya se van a salir cuando llegan a este momento. <risa> Okay, so I think uh, that's... We, we, we can switch back if you want. Yeah, yeah it's fine. All right, but at least, you know, at least, uh, you know, we passed the we passed the Latino part, so we got to keep it. Yes, so, exactly. We got to keep him happy, right? Yeah, you got to keep him happy because, you know, you can't really call yourself a Latino if you don't know how to speak the language, so. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so you've been here also, like, for more than eight years, right? Like, when you made the, the switch to actually stay here in the U.S.? Yes, I think it's like the best, you know, the best slash worst decision because, I mean, I have all this opportunity, but at the same time, you know, like my my culture and like, you know, what I believe to be true has put, been put to the test. I, I made it out. I made it out of the dirt. Um, and then also like, you know, like with English being like the main language here, it was like I almost, I nearly almost lost, you know, all my Spanish, which, you know, that would have been sad. So, but, you know, made it out. Yeah, that's good. It's always good to actually, you know, keep your Spanish, I guess, because it's your roots, right? And I, for me, at least, that's how I see it, you know? Yeah, same. Like, um, yeah, when, I, when I'm going to have my kids, I'm going to teach them, like, Spanish. I don't care, like, what country they are. They're, they're going to learn Spanish, so. Yeah, that's Thank really you. good. That's really good. And, and you said that you wanted to pick up another language or two more, you said? Yes. So, um, I think, like, I want to learn five from 20, maybe 10 in my lifetime. But, like, I feel like, uh, how am I going to balance all 10 but i'm gonna i'm gonna finish up portuguese um in december and then i'm gonna start with greek and then swahili so why swahili why swahili three reasons one i want to visit tanzania and like go to like a african savannah and also a mount mount kilimanjaro i think that's how you say it Probably, i think i've heard of it yeah mm-hmm. i i don't know how you say it but I, maybe yeah, i think that's in tanzania too <laughs> Two, to communicate with like the people there um they're lovely people and, and from what i've heard like it's definitely a good place and three i think this is from my childhood roots but like the lion king like mm. um the the words like simba nala rafiki those are in swahili so simba's okay. lion nala's gift i think and then rafiki i think that means friend so the lion king right <laughs> yeah it's so, like yeah those words are in uh are in swahili so i'm just like wow Oh, really? I didn't know that they were in uh, Swahili. Yeah, yeah, I Googled it up. It's like, I Googled it up. I just Googled the video. It says the Swahili language, and it actually is from the Lion King. So, yeah. And, and why Greek? Greek, because that's where I want to live one day. So, you know, got to pick the language earlier. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, so for you, so are you like uh, doing like a, you only do this app, like the hello thing up or... What else yeah, do you so because you said that you're gonna finish in December? Is that like a course or are you oh no? Um, uh, this is like this is like self self-taught. Like all I'm doing is like I'm basically listening to listening to videos in Portuguese with the vocabulary that I know I want to learn or I will keep. 
Mm-hmm. Two, oh, okay. I'm, I'm reading books. And three, I'm just talking with people that are native to the language or, you know, speak the language. That's all I'm doing. And I'm going to do the same thing for Greek and Swahili, minus the reading, because, um, you know, Greek has a different alphabet than, um, than like Spanish or Portuguese. Swahili, I might add a little bit of reading, maybe like children's stories. But other than that, you know, not a lot of reading. It's mostly going to be just listening and speaking the language. For a it will take longer actually to learn yes, the will, vocabulary and all of that. Yeah. It will take longer, but I think I can pull both languages off in one year. Like it's, they won't be that hard. I just need, you know, just to listen and speak the language, find people who talk it. And there we go. So six months, six months kind of thing. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. Six Portuguese is going to be the easiest one of these five to acquire because of the vocab that's almost close to Spanish. So, yeah, I've heard that it's kind of like, I understand a little bit course yeah. i don't speak it but you know yeah you can, you can understand a little bit yeah so regarding your uh, time management skills how do you do all of these how do you ever yeah. do anything <laughs> so basically my the best the best advice i would give is minimize task switching so basically what i mean by this is like let's say one day you want to focus on um Let's say you want to say you want to focus on build on making a newsletter or maybe coding up your website. Then, but you let's say you also you know you want to write this art this cool article on philosophy of this book that you want to write, and then you want to also what's it called, um, and then you also want to go on your dirt bike and go for a spin. Well, yeah, that's like so many things piled up. So for me, it's like just focus on like two things per day, and what are the two main things you want to get done for the day, and you won't like you'll see how much you'll get done like. Um, you'll either go on, you'll get on that deep focus grind, which takes like two, three hours to hit. But once you're like there, you know, you don't stop. And that's for me, that's what I do is what is my, what is the priority I have for the day? Is it, is it this thing or is it that thing? Is it the, what I consider work life or is it my personal life? And whichever one of those categories fall, fall into, then that's where I go. That's where I put my attention for the day. And then there I get a lot more done. So that way, when it's time for those personal days, I'm free. Like I don't have to worry about anything i can actually enjoy myself at least that's me because i always tend to worry a lot so i'd rather you know have those you know deep focus days so i can have you know all my free the free days um and that's how i manage all my stuff and do you write it down or you just uh you know just go off by whatever you I just have write on like a, yeah i just write on a piece of paper in the morning so because like um after so after after training in the morning and such um i basically just put it in front of my in front of the computer say you got to get this done before you know you can do whatever else you want it's only two things mm-hmm. but i'll go on a deep focus on it to make sure i get i get whatever i need done okay so it's like three hours per thing or whatever it takes you like whatever if you go uh, into the deep uh you know deep thinking and deep focus and you just go longer or whatever but is it mm-hmm. usually like four hours or um per thing it's between two and a half to three hours it really depends on what it is because some things take longer than others some things don't really take that long but on average it's like two hours per thing but you know i'd rather go on that deep focus grind rather than just you know having to spread it out an hour per day like i don't want to do that yeah because then you don't get anything long right yeah and i get like mentally fatigued so i'm like i don't want that i don't want to get mentally fatigued in the process i'd rather be happy and in fatigue (laughs) yeah that makes sense it's like I already did all of this, so now I can just feel fatigued, right? Yeah, like who cares? Like yeah, I don't can, who cares now, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, nice, nice. Uh, 
uh, I don't want to take more time. It it's already late here. I think it's early over there, right? Is it LA? It's eight thirty-five. So like this is kind of early. Yeah, to me it's like almost twelve. <laughs> oh. Yes, it's okay, kind of, yeah. it, it's kind of late here. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, I don't take more time of your busy schedule, right? <laughs> so that you can go practice your language now. I just yeah. wanted to, I, yeah, I just wanted to thank you. Uh, thanks for being the first here on the podcast. Thanks for doing it. And I mean, we didn't talk about many things, but like maybe we can do this on another occasion and you know expand on some of the things and see what you're working on at the moment and you know catch up. Definitely, definitely. And so I was happy to be the first one on the podcast. I mean, I definitely want to see your progress on this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You'll see it. Uh, I'll keep in touch with you and, you know, see whatever is going on with you so that we can uh, have another conversation or a couple of conversations or whatever you want. Whenever you want to be on the podcast, just let me know or I'll reach to you as well. Yep, sure. In Spanish or in Portuguese? Uh, we can do Spanish, Portuguese, Greek, Swahili <laughs> in, in a year or two. Yeah, uh, do, do you have like any uh, social media? Uh, do you want to give out, uh, you know, the medium articles or whatever you yep. uh, whatever you want to just say? Uh, just give your social media so that people can follow you and read the there's like a hundred nano stories. Right. So it's like. Yeah. A, it's, yeah, uh, like, yeah. You can go on. Uh, you could just like go on uh, Google, just put 100 nano stories colon bookmark. And for my social media, you can follow me on Twitter. It's um, the tag is at Carlitos Arquin. So for those who need to spell the last name, it's J-A-R-Q-U-I-N. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'll put it in the description so, as well, yes. All right, perfect. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it, Carlos.